Hey everyone, welcome. We have just rounded into the Christmas season and I think this episode is perfect for Christmas. When I was a young child, I remember seeing a music video around Christmas time that really bothered me. It was a montage of video clips and still pictures of war and fighting and suffering around the world, all while someone was singing Silent Night in the background. Even as a child, I got the point. The angels proclaimed, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. But this video was a kind of retort to the angels. Peace? What peace is there in this world? And that's exactly where we start with today's episode about being of the same mind. What kind of peace can we expect to have in the world? In your church, your family, your marriage? I'll give you a hint. It begins with Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoy the episode. But before we get started, I need to tell you about the Helpful Marriage Conference at the beautiful Indiana Landmark Center in Indianapolis on March 4th and 5th, 2022. Tim and Mary Lee Bailey have been married for 45 years, and along the way, they have learned a lot about what makes for a good marriage. And so Pastor Bailey will be teaching from his wealth of experience on Friday and Saturday. But this event isn't just going to be teaching. We have planned the whole event as a weekend getaway for you and your wife, and we want you to have an absolute blast. Aside from the great teaching, we have rented a game room at the Fountain Square Theater for fun and fellowship on Friday night. And on Saturday, we'll enjoy a fantastic catered lunch. So check out HelpfulMarriage.com and register today. All right. The conversation today is with Max Carell, Stephen Baker, and Tim Bailey. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. So we've been talking about being of the same mind, but we sitting around this table are pastors and we know that fighting in church, outside of church, doesn't matter. We know that fighting is constant. Yeah. Bob Dylan said in an interview I was listening to on the radio 40 years ago, he said the interviewer was British and he kept wanting Bob to talk about peace, you know, (laughs) and Dylan was irritated. And finally he said, look, you want peace? He said, the moment that you stop to reload your rifle, that's the peace, the only peace you will ever have. (laughs) That's a pretty cynical view about peace if this whole podcast episode is supposed to be about maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I mean, you don't sound like a guy who's very committed to peace. Um, Well, peace- Or even believe that it's possible. It has to be achieved through fighting. What were you going to say, Max? Well, we're about to, is it Veterans Day? What's coming? Mm-hmm. Veterans Day. Okay, so my grandsons asked my wife, they said, Grandma, where's the war? Ha. Huh. And one of them said, is it in the woods? <laughs> and what's interesting is they're huh. they're just figuring out the world, the bigness of the You're world, right. right? And they're figuring out <laughs> that wars have been, wars Hmm. are wars will be they're yeah. not and they have locations and then they have yet who wants to trouble their minds yet with these with cold wars and culture wars mm-hmm. right but all of those things are realities and so when we're talking about uh, what you just made me think of lucas was we when we're talking about this and we're talking about when tim says uh well the only time you're gonna have peace is when you stop to reload your gun Mm-hmm. And and you say, well, that sounds cynical. Well, why is it cynical? Because we think there's a time 
that we will see this side of eternity where there will be a wonderful and we'll all sing that song there will never yeah, yeah, be yeah. any peace there, there, there's a kind of person that thinks that peace is going to come by us holding when, hands when and they have a, when they have jesus knocking on the un building you know what i'm saying and that's going to be the peace the fact of the matter is we we live in a world that the Bible describes as this present evil age. Mm. We are Christians. We're aliens. We're sojourners. We are we are out of place we in see. this world. God has made something completely different about us. The whole all of the realities sound surrounding the unities that we've talked about from the scripture references we've made today are dealing with God's people mm. that are are displaced in the world. And so the the reality is there's war being waged against us constantly from the world there's war being waged within our midst we have wolves within and sheep without right we have we have the reality of the work of sustaining the kingdom of god and its and its uh and its care and its presence here before you jump in again tim i i think uh it's very common in a family for the quote unquote perfect keeper of the peace of the family, mm-hmm. right? Of the family is the guy, the man who is absolutely unwilling to say no to anything, to discipline anything. He's always the most genial guy. Mm-hmm. And what do you, what, what is the fruit of that? The fruit of that is certainly not peace. No, it's not peace. It's the, like the family eating each other alive. Right. And that's so very common, but it's it's that kind of person who's you know chipper and isn't going to be quote unquote cynical in the way that Tim you know, that I accused Tim of being cynical. It's that kind of person who's going to preside over a, a very very false peace. And I think that central to that is our unwillingness to actually face the doctrine of our own depravity. You know mm-hmm. the, the the reality of our own sin, the sin that's in our churches. You know, we want to just think, oh, this is a great church. Mm-hmm. Everyone's happy here. I had someone, I've had people say to me before and recently, mm-hmm. I, I came and I came to church. I had my family at church. The, this was the one place I didn't expect for anyone to sin against me or my children. Hmm. This is, that's not supposed to happen in church. <laughs> yeah. The whole New Testament is chock full of this. Yeah, right. The whole assumption of all the epistles is, like the one we just read in Ephesians, bear with one another in love. Forgive each other just as you've been forgiven. Accept one another and welcome one another just like you've been welcomed by God. Mm. Be kind to one another and tenderhearted and be patient. Because you know? you're gonna want, you have every reason not to be. It's a gobbledygook if there's not if that's the baseline is not we are living together yeah. as sinners, and the peace that we have is not the absence of conflict. Mm. It is. It's being willing to work through it mm. the way he's told us to, with with patience, with gentleness, with forgiveness, mm-hmm. and doing the hard work of bringing these things to resolution, not brushing them under the rug. Mm-hmm. We thought about calling this show Thought Crimes. Mm. Yeah, we did. And that's because any Christian thought today is beyond offensive to the world, Mm -hmm. any Christian thought. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to peace, again, 
the doctrine of peace as scripture presents it is anathema to the world. Mm. And to the degree that your church represents the world instead of God, mm -hmm. it will be anathema to your church. In other words, like anything good, the great usurper, the great liar, Satan, has his counterfeits. Mm -hmm. And until you get into your brain that an awful lot of what is said to be peace today is actually bloody, that it is accomplished at the cost of innocence being killed. It's okay. lies. It is absolutely diabolical lies because how is anything more diabolical than lies when Satan's the father of lies? So mm -hmm. Calvin in a commentary on Acts, he says this, he says, peace is certainly a pleasing word, <laughs> but cursed is the peace that is obtained at so great a cost that there is lost to us the doctrine of Christ. Mm -hmm. By which alone we grow together into a godly and holy unity. And so many Christians today are trying desperately to produce a false peace that will allow there to be a demilitarized relationship. And so if you think about peace as the world presents peace, the world would say that, you know, in large measure, uh, it's been a difficult couple of years, but that America has peace in her time. Her borders aren't being invaded. And some conservatives <laughs> would say, oh, yes, they are. But, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, all of us would pick this sort of a border invasion <laughs> to the ones that most people across history have experienced, right. where mm -hmm. your wife ends up being taken into captivity. Yeah, yeah. And you end best. up being dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... What do we have then in America, in the United States of America today? We have sophisticated culture. We have endless entertainment. We have almost a peaceful transition of power between President Trump mm. and President Biden. I mean, you know, that was state of the art compared to what most transition of power are in the Old Testament, for instance, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you Rome. know, or Rome or anywhere, you know, all the banana dictators, you know. Yeah. All right. So we have peace in America, right? But when John Lennon did that album with Yoko Ono naked in bed together and they sang love, 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 all we need is love. Mm -hmm. What happened? Well, the great peacemaker blew up the Beatles with Yoko. I mean, they blew it to smithereens mm -hmm. and then his brain was blown to smithereens outside of the Dakota apartments. Yeah, no, that wasn't his fault. Yeah, but that's not my point. My point is you can be on the receiving end of the, hostility yeah. or you can be on on the trigger end of the hostility yeah what we must do is see the hostility yeah, for what it really is that it's always there and often we are the giver of hostility yeah. and often the receiver of hostility and so we can go on with the world and its definition of peace and say well peace is you know the absence of guns going on we just get rid of guns or you know if everybody would just smoked dope you know then they'd be stupefied and everybody would think there was peace and then they die and they wouldn't be aware they died because they were stupefied which is a lot of what a life of pornography and video games actually is. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. can I please just die early but keep the body for a while because, you know, I kind of like looking at naked flesh. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Now, 
Are we going to look at the peace that the world claims that it has with truth? If we're going to look at it at truth, and they tell us where they have peace and how they've gotten it, and what peace means, which they're always willing to tell us, you know? In another year or two, we won't have single-use plastic bags at Walmart. And that's another step of progress and peace. Right. I have enough of them under my sink, though, to do with the state of Indiana for a couple of years, I think. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, here's my point. When President Lincoln was elected, was there peace in the United States of America? Was, no. was there peace with the Indians? Was there peace with Africans? To what degree did the economic health of the South depend upon enforced labor? To what degree did men take the women as they wanted them, the same as the Roman Empire did with slaves, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay? Is that peace? When a father lives in his home and gets his wife to agree to cover up his rape of his daughter about three times a week in her bedroom, mm -hmm. is there peace? When the mother doesn't want the pastor taking the father to the police to confess his wicked crimes, capital crimes, and she convinces him to be silent about it, is that silence peace? Okay? Yeah. I'm okay? Fine. In other words, what about the Third Reich outside of Buchenwalder, Dachau, when the villagers were walking through the streets caroling one another at Christmas time mm -hmm. and then going home to, you know, some Jagermeister that's like, you know, warm. And they haven't noticed the smoke coming out of the furnaces mm. and their son isn't a guard there. Is there peace? As they work for the utility company that provides the gas. Yeah. Is there peace? Mm. And now we come to the United States of America when just down the road, we have a place that's slaughtering unborn children, mm -hmm. unnamed, mm -hmm. unmourned, unrecognized, no Holocaust museum to them. Okay, now, you want to talk about peace in America today? And we are slaughtering by the millions year after year unborn children. That's the cost of our peace. That's the cost of us being able to be sexually debauched. That's the cost of women no longer being mothers, but being career. That's the cost of all the lies that are necessary to keep the peace in our country. Mm -hmm. And all those lies are at the center of political correctness. Mm -hmm. It is politically incorrect to ever mention the babies. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's politically correct to talk about choice. Now, can we all admit that any talk of peace in the United States of America today, in fact, in the Western world where even Planned Parenthood's Guttmacher Institute puts the toll at 1.6 billion abortions so far. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can we agree that if the peace that we claim to have today requires what uh, the Lancet estimates is 73 million abortions a year. This is just abortions. They don't admit about chemical Planned Parenthood, uh, Plan B, you know, yep. ECP, stuff like that. They're just talking about abortions, mm -hmm. you know, that you can recognize as abortions. So what kind of peace do we have in the world? Here's my point, 
My point isn't to, talk, to call out the hypocrisy of the world and its claim of peace and its refusal to see the bloodshed, the riot of blood that mm -hmm. it's built on. Mm -hmm. My point is to say precisely the same thing is true in the church. Mm -hmm. Precisely the same thing. Even if we agree that it's only in the house of God that there exists true peace because it's built by the Holy Spirit and given to us. We have so many counterfeits for that peace. And one of the principal ones is the old obnoxious, horrific lie, but is very common doctrine mm -hmm. divides. Christ unites. Yeah, yeah. Or in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. How many crimes against the unity of Jesus Christ have been committed under that rubric? Mm. It's not to say that the sentiment isn't good, but in a politically correct time, if we should understand anything, we should understand that sentiments often aren't quite what they're cracked up to be. <laughs> <laughs> what I think we have to do in a discussion of peace and unity is to understand that in and out of the church, there is no commitment to the doctrine of depravity. Mm -hmm. None. Every attempt is made to hide sin and to hide lies and to hide errors and to minimize them if they have to be brought into the open. Mm -hmm. And until we recognize the horrors of the fall in all of life, even little babies, we will not begin to be able to recognize what true peace is. And true peace begins with God reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. And so Christians have to realize that we are agents of reconciliation. And the reconciliation we need is with God. Mm -hmm. And if we will begin to see how desperately that reconciliation is needed, and how much the world denies it's needed and thinks what it really needs is to decrease the mining of coal, okay? Mm -hmm. So that we can save the world from humanity. No, 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 no. What we need is to be saved from the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. And if your doctrine of peace and unity doesn't start with the Christian's call to be reconcilers of their children and themselves and, and the world from the wrath of God mm -hmm. through Jesus Christ, then of course we're going to be fooled and the world will keep us talking and looking at the birdie until we die. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about our children and my, my grandsons. They ask where the war is. Well, the war is in their hearts. <laughs> That's where the war is. Mm -hmm. And what we do as pastors is we are constantly working to introduce people to themselves and the world has this kind of uh fake copy of this whole thing counterfeit. counterfeit yeah there's a complete counterfeit in the world we're introducing our 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 people to their wicked hearts and they are to be at war with themselves in a sense they're to be at war with their hearts casting down the wickedness in their hearts before god being reconciled to him through christ and the world says, no, you'd be at war with yourself, but it's it's the war with your selfish use of plastic so that you can be re reconciled to Gaia, hmm. right? And you can have your da-da-da-da-da, whatever. When in reality, the the wickedness in our hearts isn't, isn't in the slightest affected. It's completely counterfeit. It's, it's this appeasement 
it's distracting us so that we don't actually have to deal with what's really wicked in us. And there's nothing better at keeping us from having to deal with who we truly are, which you said is our job as pastors to introduce people to who they are. There's nothing better than an infinite set of small rules that you argue about and keep or don't keep and process your conscience, which is bloody mm-hmm. and evil, by all these little things that you do that make you feel better about who you are morally. In other words, my brother-in-law, Peter, said, everybody's religious. Mm-hmm. The question is whether your religion is the counterfeit religion of the moralism that's in sway today. Somebody just wrote me and said, when you were young, wasn't it? Didn't, weren't you worried about a new ice age? You know, because now it's global warming and now it's extreme weather. And, you know, I mean, scientists are so good at having paradigm shifts while denying they're having them. <laughs> in my sermon on Sunday, I made a point. I, I paused and I talked to parents and teenagers. And I think it's good for me to bring that up in this podcast because I think that relationship is often fraught with peril, hmm. right? Lots of ten- Lots of potential for tension there. A lot of stuff going on. I asked the question, what would it take for parents and teenagers to be of the same mind? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have anything, uh, you know, earth shattering to, <laughs> to share. But one of the, the one thing I did exhort them to is, guys, talk to each other. You know, actually sit down and talk to each other. You know, mm-hmm. teenagers, you need to talk to your parents. What do, you th- what do you think about that? One of the problems with teenagers and parents is that God has ordained there be a time mm-hmm. in each person's life, which we variously speak of as uh, individuation. Yeah, right. And it is natural and right for a child becoming an adult to want to split apart from the control of his mother mm-hmm. mm, and his father. Mm -hmm. (laughs) now that's kind of a joke (laughs) Um, or for the child to want his father to be able to split apart from the control of his mother yeah but of course that's hopeless (laughs) come on guys give me some love (laughs) Uh, so one of the things you have to do as a dad is you have to create enough room that the child feels like he can make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, those mistakes are not going to be safe things like choosing a Dodge as opposed to a Ford. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the mistakes of being enamored of the youth group at a mega church. And the girl who's the daughter of the pastor who's loose sexually and is not modest in her clothing. Mm. That's where your child is going to, and you say, well, you haven't raised your children very well. Did you take him to send him to a classical Christian yeah. school? And I say, well, um, actually, these mistakes are pretty common. You know, <laughs> Samson is in the hall of faith in Hebrews, and that's kind of the guy Samson was. You know, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. out looking at the Canaanite broads, he you know. <laughs> after the cheerleaders. Yeah, sure. yeah. And so, what we have to do in our homes is have created a climate where it is acceptable, respectfully, to disagree at the dinner table about doctrinal matters. Mm. Now, if you've used all your capital to make sure that your son conforms to you in his habit with baseball caps, yeah. <laughs> You might not have a lot of capital to use when it comes to doctrine. Now, 
Stephen and David, I, I he doesn't have any teenage kids, but <laughs> you guys have, so Isn't, take off. <laughs> you have one, don't you? No, no not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not Almost. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> too soon, too soon. <laughs> well, there is individuating and then but there's also ways in which you can identify and but it means that you stop being uh the superior for a minute and to start to uh join them in the struggle that they have mm-hmm. by telling them the struggle that you have. Listen, mm-hmm. listen people. That is so important. Go ahead, David. We had a couple of dear men in the church pass away in the last couple months. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the children of the church as they observed it. And I was thinking about the ways in which we as parents don't consider uh, helping our children to process something that they're feeling so acutely. They have real questions about whether we fear death. Now, as a man who's getting close to death, I, f- I have fears about death. John Donne's poem really rings in my brain. You know, when thou hast done, thou hast not done. I have a big one. And the big one is I have a fear that I'll just perish on the shore mm. right? and that Christ won't be there. Mm. And so. Every waking minute. Yeah. And so you think about it. Could you possibly be helpful to your child to sit down with them in the context of a dear one dying like we've had and say to them, now you might wonder if I have fears. You might wonder if, if Mr. Rice had fears or if Mr. Uh, Dugdale had fears mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. they died. I suspect they did. I know that I have fears and there are things I don't know. And then I, I, I go to God and I and read them John Donne's poem and then talk to them mm-hmm. about John Donne's poem. If you want to have unity with your child, you want to, I think in many ways, it helps to get connected with them at the very points that you absolutely share. Mm-hmm. You want to confess appropriate sins to them so that they understand that you struggle with sin like they struggle with sin. Really? You struggle with sin? Really? You thought that? Really? Mm-hmm. And you want to you want to talk to them about fears that you have. You want to talk to them about the ways that you process things. And they're thinking these thoughts. Mm-hmm. They have great difficulty that they're dealing with as they're fighting with themselves and fighting with their wicked hearts and trying to figure out how to live as a Christian in this world. Mm-hmm. And they could benefit greatly from you just making yourself vulnerable to them and saying, well, here I am. Mm. And how strengthening that can be to a child. I think that in every position of authority, we have to realize the degree to which we have limited capital. (laughs) Now, that's not maybe, I don't mean that to be cynical. I just mean we have limited capital. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to use your capital to enforce whatever conformity your wife thinks is important, hear me. You'll have no capital left when it comes to solidarity in sin and fears. <laughs> you spend your time assuring that your daughter has the right friends and disapproves of the right parents' children and does this, that, and the other thing, you know, keeps playing the piano even though she says she wants to stop because Mm -hmm. your wife has cultural aspirations because she was raised a Baptist. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> Got to get that in there somewhere every time. <laughs> well, it's because I live among Baptists. I mean, Presbyterians are dead. <laughs> they, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and there's so much cultural aspiration in Baptists becoming Reformed. And so it's maniacal. It's about curriculum. It's about everything. Yeah, yeah. And if that's the important thing in your home, your wife will enforce it. She'll think that's how she's turning out something different than what she was when she was young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes time to confess your sin and to look at death and to discuss the death of Joe and, and Charlie with your children, you've already shown them that what really matters to you is control. Mm-hmm. And not control of preaching the gospel to them, although your wife might tell them it's the gospel, who their friends are, and whether they keep playing piano, <laughs> but the control of presenting to the public Im- at church. Image. image. Yeah, it's and always image. image. It's driven, always image. And driven by fear. Yeah. And fear. you just have to decide, what do you want unity with your child in? What do you want it in? Do you realize that a lot of times, if you have a rebellious child at the end of teenage years who's you know, getting wasted all the time, driving too fast, won't work consistently, uses uh, God's name in vain all the time, mm-hmm. is sexually immoral, is looking at pornography, is playing. You have a, a child in your home who's doing all these things, and you eh, try to exhort him a little bit, but then feed him a good dinner and tell him how much you love him, but you're willing to continue to live mm-hmm. with a man who is opposed to God on every level. Mm-hmm. except his relationship with his mother. <laughs> and then you can say, well, he loves me, so he must love God because God loves me and I love God mm-hmm. and he loves me and I love him and da 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 mm-hmm. Okay, fine, you've had your peace, but yeah. cursed is the peace that comes at the cost of the truth of Christ. Mm-hmm. What you won't have peace in is solidarity and confession of sin. And so you just ask yourself, which would you prefer? Solidarity in she's, he's my son, I'm his mama. And or solidarity in what Pastor Carell just said, which is, yes, I struggle with sin. Oh, yes, I do. And I fear that God won't have mercy on me. Mm. And death is scary to me. You have solidarity with that with your child. And that doesn't violate any of their ability to individuate. Mm. They don't have to say no to that to become a true adult, man or woman. And so be very careful what it is that you decide you have to have unity in in your home in order to have peace in your home, in order to have what your wife wants. Mm -hmm. I picked that relationship because, like I said, it's often so full of tension, and it is really hard, requires a lot of work to get on the same, to be of the same mind. But relate that back to the church, right, To, to fellowship in the church. I think so. some of the things you've said translate very easily, you know, entering in and saying to a brother or sister in Christ, you know, I, I struggle with these things as well. That opens up the ability to, for there to be relationship. But Lucas, it all depends on what your view of the church is. If your view of the church is telling people what they need to think to be as bright and smart mm-hmm. as you are, Mm-hmm. And to have a 21st century, early 21st century take on Reformed doctrine and and this, that, and the other thing. Such as it is. Well, then all <laughs> you need to have is a bright boy who gets up and performs like a monkey. Mm-hmm. And everybody can say, what a fine monkey he is. Mm-hmm. And aren't we glad he's a man and not a woman? <laughs> but if your goal is to protect the sheep of God. Mm-hmm. 
And if your goal is to reconcile the world to God, and if your goal is that you pass on to faithful men the truths that you've received from the Apostle Paul and from Pastor Carell, mm-hmm. it's going to have an entirely different effect on what your priorities are in the church, on how you handle division, how you handle schism, which divisions you take seriously and which ones you don't, how you handle the children of elders as they individuate. Mm-hmm. Because, for instance, when you have a church that is focused on the kingdom of God and not on Tim Bailey performing, Mm -hmm. okay, Mm -hmm. then you're willing to discipline Tim Bailey's son in Mm -hmm. high school. Even though Tim Bailey might tell you that you didn't do it right and that you don't understand his son the way you do, especially the way his mother does. (laughs) And, And look, here three of us are, all of us have had some child disciplined. Mm -hmm. And in one church where I have been sitting talking to a couple of their pastors or a pastor and another guy that was in leadership there, they told us that that men should never be in leadership who have disciplinary cases. They didn't put it that bluntly, but that's what they were saying Mm -hmm. with their their children. And at the end of this long hour conversation in between services, it was very calm. The conversation, at the end of it, I said, you know, the the problem I have with your position, and I, I don't mean to be nasty about saying this, but the problem I have is it seems like it's a perfect position to create hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Because if your children as a pastor feel that if they do something that isn't good for the image of their father, some sin that's out loud – and he'll lose his job because that's the position, you know, if you ever – then what happens in such churches is that the focus is on externals, and that's Pharisaism. Mm. That's the outside of the cup. And I want to say that if we are aimed at the kingdom of God and not at the glorification of individual performing monkeys – Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. that we are going to submit ourselves to the other elders and pastors in the discipline of our children. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that will create a wonderful unity because at any one time, maybe one of our children is excommunicated, mm-hmm. and two of the three of us sitting here have actually had excommunicated mm-hmm. children. Yep. But guess what? Discipline doesn't seem pleasant at the time to the dad. <laughs> <laughs> But what a harvest of righteousness has been produced in our children because of the discipline of the elders who were more focused on the kingdom of heaven than they were on a superficial unity and conformity of the children of the church in a certain sort of medieval cultural direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it comes out of the real belief in sin. It's a privilege to me whenever I preside over communion. And you remember the part of the liturgy where it talks about, and while you may... We look at ourselves and think, I cannot possibly be worthy yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's said I so well. perfect faith. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. That's it. And there's more to it than mm-hmm. that. But it's a wonderful time because I, it, do not if you, obey if you pause right. when you're administering communion, you pause at that point and look up at everybody oh, yeah. and you say, now, anybody want to cop mm-hmm. to that? And it's just fascinating because what you have is this wonderful look uh, mm-hmm. all across the congregation of right. people's eyes doing the thing people the things that people's eyes do 
when they realize that I'm, I'm, oh yes, I'm caught. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty. I'm this, but I'm, oh, but I'm thankful. Oh, I'm so glad that this is for me. And you realize that there's this uh, this wave of uh, unity mm-hmm. <laughs> at the point of mm-hmm. sin, at the point of understanding sin but and David, confessing sin, and the covering of Jesus. Oh what you, do you know? What I'm gonna? You know what I'm thinking about? No, I don't. <laughs> think of, think yes. of the counterfeit unity among all many of our churches that we're in relationship with. Their counterfeit unity is focusing on the number of people that come, the age of the people that come. Whether you use yeah, wine, yeah, yeah, whether yeah. you use, you know, uh, what's that stuff called in bread that, that so, gluten. So, unleavened. again, I, the reason I brought up parents and children in, in teenagers is because I think it's just this microcosm of everything we're talking about here in unity because you know you talk about you you're willing to have a false peace with your mm-hmm. kids no actually i want my children to love jesus christ <laughs> and so yes, come to that my is come to I, my come to my god come mm-hmm, to my god mm-hmm. he is the god but but you and come to and, and and it's not true that just because my rebellious son loves me and i love god that you know He's he loves God. By, by, by <laughs> yeah, osmosis, and, and and so all of that you can just take and say this is what the unity of the church is all about. We cannot give into a false unity, and yet just think of the tenderness of a father or a mother going to a rebellious son and pleading with that son. You know, it's not like it's not all just truth. You know, bang, bang, bang. It's truth relationship it's painful it's difficult all of that working together for us to grow into to be of the same mind the only unity that comes is the unity that is brought about by jesus christ Mm. the reason there's real unity at the lord's table is we read those words which by the way those words are from john calvin and john knox are exact words that were used in geneva five centuries ago okay Mm. in the english congregation that brings unity that is not brought by having children and infants at the Lord's table, that is not brought by making sure it's wine instead of grape juice. In other words, notice whether or not your church uses those words, warning at the table and mm. calling sinners to the table and acknowledging the, our fears at the table. If there is an evangelical triumphalism in your Reformed church, that is not peace, and Mm -hmm. that is not unity, because unity comes around the table under the cross with humility. This is the reason why constantly when the Bible exhorts us to unity and peace, it condemns pride. Mm -hmm. Pride is what causes us to want to get a leg up on other people. And so when it comes to, you know, the issue of... um, unity in the church, I really think we have a choice, and our choice is whether we're going to aim at the unity that comes under the cross and under the Lord's Supper and under admission of sin, because that glorifies God for us to admit it, or cheap grace, cheap confession, cheap unity of the body, external, all all this hoopla. You know, cheap recital of the creeds, cheap, you know, recitation of what the famous teachers say about this text. 
when my father, who hated division and who really didn't like to do discipline and who had a bad conscience because he was gone most of the time for years, speaking for InterVarsity at every conference in the country. And he saw that he had a son who confessed faith in Jesus Christ and yet whose behavior was not honoring to Christ, mm. okay? Mm -hmm. My father came to me one day. It was Saturday morning. I was going up the stairs to my bedroom. He said, Tim, I want to talk to you. Well, this was unusual. I turned around, came back. He looked at me and he said, Tim, he said, you are not living for Jesus Christ and you may no longer live in my home. And there was never in my life the unity with my father before or after that. <laughs> that moment was the moment of greatest unity. But you left. Yes, I left. But so how can you I left that? under my father's judgment and declaration that he belonged to God and his house belonged to God, and I could honor that. I didn't know what to do about myself. I wish mm -hmm. I could be a part of it. Yeah. But even, I knew I was. Did? Oh, of course, yes. I talked to my parents about my sins and that I could not stop sinning, hmm. you know? So I went out and I got a, a house. It's now a bar on the border of Carroll Stream and Wheaton. Although I think they just tore it down. But anyhow, I rented a house from a real estate agent and filled it with a bunch of my hippie friends, okay? <laughs> this one was a photographer. This one was a musician. This was a car mechanic, you know. Yeah, yeah. This couple was living together. And so there were like six or eight bedrooms there. It was a big house. And I was upstairs. And one night, I woke up in the middle of the night. It was about two or three in the morning. I was being shaken. And I woke up and I looked and there's my dad. Tim, are you all right? Are you all right, Tim? Yeah, Dad, I'm all right. I'm all right. Oh, oh, thank God. You're all right. Yeah, Dad, I'm all right. He was kneeling down next to my bed. Mm. Now, why is this so significant? Well, he had gotten up out of his bed at two in the morning and driven to the house he'd never been to. Mm. He knew where it was, but he knew what it was, and so mm. he didn't come. Yeah. I mean, he knew I loved him. Don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but this was a, a den of iniquity. Yeah. Okay. He had had somebody call him and say that they had seen me in a jail. Mm -hmm. He had called a bunch of jails. He couldn't find me anywhere. He was desperate for his son. Mm -hmm. And he got into his car and he drove 11 miles into Wheaton. And then he walked into the den of iniquity. Mm -hmm. And for my father, if you've ever seen planes, trains, and automobiles, okay? <laughs> he's not the John Candy. <laughs> he's not John Candy. He's the uptight New Yorker, Chicago uh, marketing agency, real ad, ad agency executive who can't stand a man swinging his dirty socks in his face. <laughs> okay? My father was absolutely sophisticated clean, proper, and not into going into people's bedrooms door by door to see if that's where his son was. Yeah. And it would have been a lot of bedrooms because I was upstairs at the front. Mm. I'm guessing I was either the last or second to last bedroom he would have opened. Mm -hmm. Do you know that the day came where I repented? Mm. But do you know that when I repented, it was not a false familial unity. It was not cheap. Mm -hmm. It was realizing 
that God had given me every possible thing he could through my parents in terms of instruction, love, and godliness, everything. And that the most precious gift he had given me was a father who would have nothing to do with false unity and peace. Mm. None. Because what mattered to him was the unity of his family, his marriage, and his children with his Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. That was it. God was his father. And if God was not going to be my father, I was not going to be in his home. Mm. Okay. Okay. Everybody got it? Mm -hmm. This is true, as you say, with our churches. Mm-hmm. It's true with our relationships with our children, with many people listening. It's true of them and their husband or wife. Mm-hmm. We must not turn aside from the unity that comes from confessing our sins before God and pleading with mercy through Jesus Christ to any other unity. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And it extends past salvation. Okay? I know that. Mm-hmm. It extends to issues like the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of Scripture. Yep, I yep. could go on and on and on. But it's interesting that my father lived at a time when the doctrine of inerrancy was being pushed on everybody in the evangelical world, Chicago's statement on inerrancy. Mm-hmm. And my father said over and over again, would you guys stop talking about your doctrine of inspiration and talk to me about the authority of Scripture? Mm-hmm. Do you see the distinction there? Mm-hmm. You know, that so many people can, you know, explain this number of cocks crowing this time and all this <laughs> stuff. But then they rebel against Scripture saying, I do not allow a woman to exercise authority over a man. She must be silent for Adam was created first and Eve. How mm-hmm. ironic that we never stop producing a false unity and a false peace in the church by which we lose the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So once again, I want to read what. John Calvin says, peace is certainly a pleasing word, mm-hmm. but cursed is the peace that is obtained at so great a cost that there is lost to us the doctrine of Christ, by which alone we grow together into godly and holy unity. Mm-hmm. Oh, the sweet unity I had with my father the last years of his life. Mm-hmm. But it was not fake. It was mm-hmm. not cheap. Mm-hmm. It was not cheap. Our unity is found at the foot of the cross. That's it. We confess our sin to God and to our brothers and sisters, and we find our hope in Jesus Christ. That is what brings us peace with God and peace with one another. Our pride and arrogance, on the other hand, are the absolute enemies of unity and peace. We spent some time in today's episode talking about parents and teenagers being of the same mind. Afterwards, we decided there was much more to be said about parents and teenagers. So, for the next two weeks, we are going to be talking about teenagers specifically. I hope you'll join us. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey, Max Carell, and Stephen Baker. Tim, Max, Stephen, and I serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.